Good morning. Ooh. Right, I think we're sorted. Good morning. Um, so, we've just heard where we're up to, Matthew chapter 9, verse 18. Let me fill you in on some context here. Jesus has just healed the man of the tombs. The people have just lost their bacon supply because the demons have come in. Seems to be an interruption. He's been telling them that he can't be contained as the new wine. Oh, sorry. the end of the sermon. No, that's not right. Uh, Thank you, Caleb. I've asked Caleb to come up. He's not uninvited, so don't all rush forward. I am not Jesus. But I want to draw you into the story. Jesus is saying, I'm not the new wine. I'm sorry, I am the new wine. I can't be contained in these old wineskins. We don't fast at the moment because I am here. And in the middle of Jesus saying this, after he's healed the man of the tombs, he's come back across on the boat and he steps out to say these things. Right then and there, this man Jairus appears and interrupts and you'll notice that in verse 18 it says while he was saying this a synagogue leader came so Caleb did that so well and this is the text this morning it's going to show us what does it mean for Jesus to be the new wine that can't be contained in old wineskins he's going to take us on a journey that will explain his role in that it's interesting to note that in Mark 5 and Luke 8 the parallel passages that we see this man is Jairus, he's a religious leader. His posture is much like Caleb's. He falls at Jesus' feet. So he knows who Jesus is. It says in the other parallel accounts that his daughter is dying. In Matthew, he's sort of telescoped the events and shortened it for us. But in these other accounts, he says, my daughter's dying, come quickly. Jesus doesn't say anything in our text here. He comes and follows Jairus. At this point, we have an interrupted journey. Just then, don't worry, there's no one else coming. It's all right, it's just Caleb this morning. But right then, a woman who'd been subject to bleeding for 12 years comes up behind him and touches the edge of his cloak. Because she said to herself, if I only touch his cloak, I'll be healed. Jesus turns and sees her and says, take heart, daughter, your faith has been healed. The parallel accounts in Mark 5 and Luke 8 tell us more. This woman had actually suffered under the doctor's care. I'm not sure of the state of the medical system in Jesus' time. I bet you it wasn't quite as advanced as ours. The text tells us this woman had actually suffered at the hands of the doctors. It was a a long-term condition. She'd been to see every specialist, every quack that had a different methodology, and still she was suffering. It also tells us she was now broke. There was no Medicare for this woman. She had spent all her life savings trying to resolve this issue of bleeding, this issue of blood. She had heard reports of Jesus and she knew that just touching his clothes would be enough. Interestingly, when this happens, Jesus is in the middle of a moving crowd that are moving towards Jairus' house. And Jesus stops and says, who touched me? Because he felt the power leave him. And he turns to Peter and says this. Seems poor Peter's always the the fall guy in this situation. He's like, why do you keep asking me all the hard questions? Peter says, we're in the middle of a crowd. Everyone's touching you, Jesus. What do you mean? And he said, no, the power has left me. Who touched me? 
And it says this woman has come forward and she's trembling and she says it was, essentially says it was me. And she declares that her reason was her faith. She knew that Jesus could heal her from what she had heard. Jesus says, take heart or have courage. He inspires her confidence further and she is healed. So we've got this journey to Jairus' house. It's interrupted by a woman who has been suffering and is healed. This healing is then interrupted yet again, which we don't see in the Matthew passage. But what happens is, while they're still speaking, one of Jairus' friends comes up and says, Jairus, your daughter is dead. Don't bother Jesus anymore. Jesus' response is to say, don't fear, only believe. So they carry on. And when Jesus entered the synagogue leader's house and saw the noisy crowd and the people playing pipes, at this stage, the funeral is underway. The musicians have already come out to play their songs of sadness. People are milling around to mourn the loss of this 12-year-old girl. And Jesus shows up and says, you've gotten the funeral pipes out too soon. He says, go away. The girl is not dead, but asleep. And they laughed at him. I sympathise with them because sometimes things are funny when you're under pressure and you're under stress and when you're grieving and you're not sure what to make of the situation. Um, so the crowd had to be put outside. They were no help. They saw Jesus as a crazy person who'd shown up when clearly the girl was dead. It was time to mourn who was this person that said she was asleep. Jesus goes inside, went in and takes her by the hand and she gets up. And in the other passages it also says Jesus speaks to her. The news of this spread throughout the region. You can understand why, because there's a great band of people following along. There's a great group of mourners that have been sent outside. The news travels fast. Jesus' journey of revelation to show him as the new wine has not stopped. Because right after that, we see Jesus moves on and two blind men follow him. There are some similar accounts in Mark 10 and Luke 18. But these are not exactly the same. I think they're two different occasions. Um, and we'll see why in just a moment. So as Jesus moves on, two blind men follow him. And they're crying out, have mercy on us. Have mercy on us, son of David. This is an important reference. They too understand who Jesus is, that he is worth approaching for healing. They understand from Matthew chapter 1 that the line of David is important. This son of David is significant. This is the Messiah, Jesus. And when he had gone indoors, the blind men came to him and he asked them, do you believe that I'm able to do this? Yes, Lord, they replied. Then he touched their eyes and said, according to your faith, let it be done to you. And their sight was restored. Jesus warns them sternly, don't tell anyone about this. But they went on their way and spread the news all over the region pretty sure you and I would do the same thing. Let's just pause for a moment and think about what Jesus is doing. Jesus changes everything. In this moment, Jesus is changing 
the perspective on who Messiah is. In this time, there could have been six or more different ideas of who Messiah would be. And according to Craig Blomberg, he catalogues these. There's the idea that the Messiah was lost. There was a recent revolt by the Maccabeans right before Jesus um, arrived on the scene with his birth. And they managed to throw off the shackles and the oppression of the Roman government for around 70 years. But they were soon crushed and the Roman rule returned. And so to them, they thought they had forfeited the Messiah. They'd had their chance and they'd lost it. Messiah lost. Secondly, some thought it would be a different role, perhaps a priest and a king, this idea from Judaism. They were anticipating two roles. Others thought it'll be a new warrior, a warrior king who would help us shake off Rome yet again. Others thought it'd be the one to bring the end of time and to restore order. Others thought he'd be a cultural, religious and political restorer. The Samaritans in particular were looking for a restorer. Someone who could fulfil the role of the new Moses that is referenced in Deuteronomy 18. Lastly, others were looking for a teacher or a wise sage. Someone that could expound the literature to them. But Jesus has come to upend that and even better to fulfil that in ways they were not even expecting. Jesus changes everything. Jesus changes the perspective. We too feel this. We too have a perspective. We hate sickness. We despise disability. When we see people that are suffering, that hurts us too. We react strongly against death. And these are the moments when we realise there's something bigger than the right now going on. There is something greater than just me. I feel it when I see others that are suffering in sickness. I feel it when others are suffering disability. I wish for them to be whole. We feel it when we mourn the loss of a loved one we too can have our perspective changed. Jesus has come to change that perspective. Jesus has come to show, I'm the new wine that can't be contained. Sickness and death are no longer undefeated. Power and servanthood are redefined. Even the way we should rule is redefined in Jesus. I love the way N.T. Wright puts it. Jesus' mission is this. It is God's powerful foolishness in a world of foolish power. Even greater than that, the Old Testament picture was that impurity, all the things that Jesus has come into contact with here, disease, disability and death. All these things in the Old Testament system had to be removed from the presence of the temple so that God's holiness could be established and worship could take place in that location. Here, Jesus says, that can't be contained anymore. I'm out amongst the disease, the death and the disability. And I am so powerful that my holiness pushes back the darkness. My holiness drives back impurity. 
This is the new wine. Jesus has come to redefine what it means to worship God. It is no longer confined to one space. Jesus is now amongst us in this picture, in this story. Jesus drives back all that is wrong in the world because he is the restorer. Jesus explains what it means to live with right ethics in chapter 5 because he is the wise teacher. Jesus will restore proper and just ruling because he is the king. Jesus allows us to worship freely with God because he is the priest. Jesus has come to fulfill these expectations of Messiah in ways never thought possible. Jesus drives back the impurity. Impurity in the Old Testament was this idea that you weren't, you hadn't done anything morally wrong, but it was a sign of decay, a sign of destruction. That's why you weren't allowed to touch dead animals and then go to the temple. You had to have a time of cleansing your impurity, a time of setting aside again and making yourself holy. Did you notice, as we read, that in each of these three examples, each of these three occasions, Jesus touches the person he is healing. Whether it is the woman who comes to him and touches him, touch is involved. Jesus is not made impure by an issue of blood. Jesus heals the woman. When Jesus approaches the young girl who is dead, he takes her hand and she is restored to life. Touch is involved. When Jesus heals the blind man, he touches their eyes. He's not afraid to touch. His power is greater than the darkness. His power can restore and drive back the impurity. Sometimes we ask ourselves, why didn't Jesus heal everybody? Because Jesus has changed everything. He's changed our perspective. Jesus is changing everything. The process is ongoing. He showed us and is showing us what restoration looks like. I think the reason for this is because complete restoration means an end to the time of our repentance. We have to understand that the physical signs of brokenness aren't the only signs. What goes on in our thoughts and our desires, which flourish into our actions, show that we are disconnected, that we are impure before God. So if Jesus were to change everything right now, all those things must change too. And that means unless you have Jesus as your high priest who allows access who trust in the work of Christ to restore your relationship with God, to find belonging with him, you would be under judgment because you are currently separated by your moral impurity. 2 Peter 3.9 explains this, that God is long-suffering, he's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So just remember that. In a way, and it seems counterintuitive, it is good that we are not completely restored yet. God is giving us further opportunity to embrace him 
God is giving us a chance to repent, to turn from our sin. But we do see that Jesus is the groundbreaker. He is changing everything, but he's also, according to 1 Corinthians 15, 20, he's the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep, which means he's also the first to be restored fully to life after death. He's showed us what's to come, but he's giving us a chance to trust him and be restored. You and I can be on this journey of transformation. The other thing you'll notice, Jesus is the new wine and he explains that by touch. He says, I drive back impurity. But Jesus also explains, this is received by faith. And each of the people that interact with Jesus, they are interacting with Jesus because of their faith. They have seen who Jesus is. They've understood They don't have the six misconceptions of Messiah. They understand that Jesus is king. Jesus is king of everything. They understand that approaching Jesus, they will not be turned away. They can take heart and have courage. The best thing we can do this Father's Day, whether you're a father, a mother, an uncle, an auntie, a godfather, a stepsister, a stepbrother, The best thing we can do this Father's Day is to be like Jairus. And take someone to Jesus. I'm always more emotional after opening Father's Day cards. also more emotional after weddings. I have the double whammy. But the best thing you can do this Father's Day is be like Jairus and take your relative, your child to Jesus, your friend to Jesus because you've seen what he can do. The good news this morning is that Jesus has changed everything, including our perspective. He is changing everything, including our chance to repent and be restored fully, both morally and physically. And we've seen that this has not happened completely yet. We do see people healed. That is not always the case. But we also understand from Scripture, Jesus will change everything. Our best life now is the message we're told over and over, live your best life now. The best life now is not your Christian hope. There's some good advice in live your best life now, the idea perhaps you could scripturally support with, don't be anxious for today, for tomorrow, sorry, because today's got enough worries. That's good advice, that's scriptural. But the idea that the only thing you've got going for you happens in the moment today, you should pin all your hopes and dreams on what happens today, whether that be your relationships or your career, 
or your social status. The Christian hope is far greater than that. What we see is that all those that are outside of Christ, both great and small, according to Revelation 20 and 12, will be judged by their actions. The restorer will come and real injustice will be righted. There will be no more injustice, no more oppression and corruption from our leaders. We will not oppress and use one another any longer because Jesus will change everything for good. We also see in Revelation that all those who are in Christ by faith will be healed. If you were to look at Revelation 21, perhaps you want to jump there with me so you can see it with me because it's an amazing picture. Revelation 21, 3 to 5. It's talking about the new heaven and the new earth. It explains how Jesus will change everything. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. He who has he who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write, these down, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. That's the good news that Jesus brings into this scenario. That is the big picture of what Jesus is doing. It would be easy to look at these miracles and think, Jesus can heal me, and you'd be right. But you'd only be seeing a small part of the picture of what Jesus is bringing in Matthew chapter 9. Jesus changes everything. This morning sometimes we want the parts of restoration that suit us most. We don't understand fully the depths of restoration we need, the depths of transformation we need in Jesus. We see the outside of us easily. We see the disease, the sickness, the disability and the death with ease. But this is in some ways only a, an outside sign of what is happening on the inside, in our hearts. The good news for us this morning is that we can be transformed. We can fall at the feet of Jesus. And this morning, we need to see the issues of our heart if we are to properly fall at the feet of Jesus by faith and ask him to transform us. We need to see the bitterness, the envy and the strife that takes place in our heart and understand we need transformation. And only Jesus can bring that. This is our hope. You'll notice at the end of the passage that after Jesus also drives out a demon from another um, demon-possessed man, there's the response from the religious leaders. The religious leaders respond with cynicism and they say, this man must be performing miracles by the work of the devil. It's interesting that they don't try and refute the miracles because that would be foolish. There's far too many people talking about this. But they do say he must be working by another power. And later Jesus will go on to say, if I am casting out demons 
but yet I work for Satan, that makes no sense because a house that's divided doesn't work against itself. But it's sad to see the response that the religious leaders have, one of cynicism, one of protecting the old way, the one that says we need to preserve the tradition of fasting, even those traditions that are extra on top of what is prescribed, in the hope that by working harder and trusting our tradition, we will become holy. We will separate from our impurity and we'll become closer to God. They have missed the picture. Jesus is inviting you and anyone that will listen to his words to be transformed by faith. That's a need for all of us here this morning. Because whether you are here for the first time exploring Christianity, whether you're here as a founding member, you still need to respond in faith for Jesus to transform you. You can be made new by seeing Jesus as king the first time and you become his child. But the process is ongoing as you continue to trust, you need to continue to have faith, continue to allow the light that is Jesus to expose what is in your heart. The invitation this morning is to see Jesus by faith as the means to total transformation. That means right now, that means for the future, that means we have hope for tomorrow, that means we have hope at the funeral committal, it means we have fo- hope at the hospital bedside, And we have hope in the final resurrection. That's the good news. There will be no more tears. No more sickness. No more death. What is your response this morning? Is the question I will leave to you. How have you seen Jesus? Have your eyes of faith been opened this morning? Or are you responding with the dangerous response of cynicism. I invite you to reconsider this morning. Whether you are already a follower of Jesus, I invite you afresh this morning to see Jesus as he is, the one that transforms everything. I invite you, even for the first time, to consider Jesus as the means to restoration, to fill a deep hope for the future that extends beyond today. Jesus changes everything. Thank you. Let me just pray for us. Father God, we're so thankful that you approached us in love, that you sent your son to die for us, to change everything. And we ask this morning that you would work through your spirit here this morning to change our perspective on Jesus. Let us not see this passage as one that is here to inform us about the great healings Jesus have done, but to see it as a picture of all that is wrong in the world, and that starts with us and extends into our families and out into our communities. Help us see it as Jesus being the one who transforms all that is wrong, both personally 
and in our communities. Father, we pray this morning we would, we would feel the impact of this. We would feel it like Jairus felt it. We would feel it as the concerned father for our friends and our family. We pray this morning that someone perhaps here for the first time will have their eyes opened to see you as the king. Thank you for your word. Amen. Amen.